Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that it speaks uh, of you, that we can learn about you and uh, what you care about. Uh, We pray and ask that in reading your word and in hearing talks from your word, that it isn't merely just information or something that goes in one ear and out the other, but that it changes our hearts. Uh, Father, we thank you for this psalm and uh, for the the one who wrote it. Uh, Thank you that, uh, yeah, Lord, we know the uh, comparison between you and uh, the idols that are mentioned in this psalm. We just pray that as we look to glorify you and know you better, um, that this psalm may pierce our hearts and that, uh, yeah, as we go from here, we can um, edify one another and bring glory to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, when you enter my, enter into my house, one of the first things you'll see is this. So this is the shrine that my family has set up to the various uh, Buddhist deities that they worship every day. And this isn't just my immediate family, like my mom, my stepdad, uh, but my entire extended family across the world. They worship some form of Buddhist deity or deities. Uh, I can't say I know too much about what each deity offers, uh, but generally each one provides something supposedly beneficial, like uh, mercy, forgiveness, and or protection, depending on which one is worshipped. Now, uh, being a Christian, this is tough for me, as I'm sure it's been difficult for a lot of you who've also tried to uh, talk to loved ones about Christianity, because the idol ends up being a pretty obvious hurdle, making it really hard for a person to ultimately trust in Jesus. In today's psalm, Psalm 115, we end up asking this question, how should we relate to idols? And how should we relate to God, and why? Now, to get into the context of this psalm, uh, the first thing that is, uh, unfortunately, no one actually knows who wrote this psalm. So it makes it a little bit difficult to know what kind of events the psalm might be referring to. Uh, today's psalm uh, is, ref- is one of what's referred to as a Hallel psalm, which is where we get the word hallelujah from. A hallelujah means praise Yah, as in the shortened form of Yahweh, which is the name of the God of the Bible. And so this is to help us to remember that this is the psalm in the form of a prayer that was recited word for word, uh, which God's followers, that is uh, Israel and a few other groups that we'll come to know, it's probably what they would have recited on Jewish holidays as an act of praise and thanksgiving to God. Although some academics do say that this psalm was written to celebrate God's rescuing of Israel from the Exodus, to praise God for rescuing his people out of Egypt. And this psalm was to help Israel to remember the uniqueness of God compared to the idols of the nations. And this would be done by giving him the glory. That's exactly how this psalm begins. The psalm says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. 
Glory to your name, Lord, because of what you've done for us in showing love and faithfulness. When we read this, uh, we might be tempted to think that Israel has won some kind of victory over their enemies or that God has done something really great for them. It's not us who should get the glory. But we see a very different story in verse 2. See, what might have actually been the case was that Israel was in danger, under pressure by other nations, or they were just being mocked by them, asking, where is their God? They think Yahweh is going to save them? You can kind of just hear the mocking in this text. And why do they mockingly ask where God is? especially because of His love and faithfulness that we can see, and because of that, we'll, con- we'll continue to glorify Him. And if Israel is defeated then, the enemies might be able to say, where is their God, as they claim a victory? But the psalmist instead calls for God to be glorified. In fact, don't you find the question asked by Israel's enemies in verse 2 to be a little ridiculous? Where is their God? Well, He's in the heavens, and He does all that He pleases. Our God is a sovereign God. He's in the heavens above everyone, above everyone else. And it's like the psalmist is saying, there's no one above Him. What about their gods, though? What about the gods of the people, of, of everyone else? Verse 4, their gods are silver and gold, made by human hands. Their gods are merely figments of their own creation. Imagine making your own god. But the truth is that, actually, we do this all the time. People make idols out of everything. Idol worship is well and truly alive today. It doesn't have to be a statue. People idolize success, security, love, family. It's not as if these are bad things. They're actually all inherently good things. But they can become idols if they become more important than God to us. And the psalmist goes on to describe how utterly insane it is to worship these idols. Verse 5, they have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. He goes on and on to list all these different senses that humans have as well. These are simple human senses. You have hearing, smell, feel, walk, voices. The idols have none of these. Imagine worshipping idols that can't even do these simple and basic tasks. The idol can't even make a noise. They are literally dumb and mute idols. They're created by humans and are unable to help humans, just like how the psalmist tells us so soberingly in verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Imagine worshipping idols that can't even do these simple and basic tasks only to become like them. Those who trust in these idols will become dumb and mute, 
just like the idols, unable to do anything for themselves. In the psalmist's day, it seems obviously true. Uh, as we see it here in the Old Testament, uh, and according to what we know from Jesus in Revelation, it will also be true for those, uh, true for people that trust in those idols in our time too. Uh, in the final book of the Bible, Revelation, chapters 8 to 11, there's a section that talks about judgment sent from heaven that gives a taste of devastation poured out on rebels that ignore God's warnings. Uh, and surprise, surprise, those that trust in idols made by human hands make this list. Should we be surprised? Because it's not as if these idols have any sort of saving power that God has. Idols can't help people. They have no power because they don't exist. And in the end, there's only one conclusion that we can make. Glorify God or don't, and become dumb and mute, like those that worship the non-existent idols. And thankfully, God exists. He exists for us to give glory to, while He shows His love and faithfulness to His people. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, how good is it that God isn't like the non-existent idols that can't do anything for themselves? that can't do anything for the people that worship them. Idols are things that are there and they just don't do anything. Uh, when I think of the most obvious forms of idols uh, I've seen around me, the most consistently damaging one I've seen has been romantic relationships. I'm not saying don't ever seek love or love another person, but I am saying that romantic relationships can be damaging because they can just as easily become an idol. A number of my friends have walked away from Christianity because ultimately, uh, in their heart, uh, they'd rather be with someone, anyone, uh, even with non-Christians. They'd want to be with anyone instead of waiting to be with a Christian. Uh, I can remember one time when um, yeah, one of my friends was dating a non-Christian. I, I wasn't a very involved Christian back then. Uh, but I think if I were more involved back then, my question to them would have been the same for every person that's idolizing something. It doesn't have to be a relationship. Why are you doing this to yourself? Perhaps you've experienced this yourself too. Perhaps you know someone who walked away from Jesus because of a relationship. Or perhaps it even happened uh, to yourself. And you know just that these idols aren't harmless. Sorry, they aren't just harmless. They lie to people by offering something that their hearts desire and replace God with a cheap substitute. They pull people away from Jesus and from God, just as it did with people I knew. So you might be sitting there and thinking, well, thank goodness that I don't worship any sort of man-made idol. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. 
The truth is that all these different man-made idols of uh, gold, silver, bronze, wood, cheap plastic, they all represent something that we desire in our hearts. Thankfully, more than likely true that you don't worship these physically man-made idols. But it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have an idol in your life. Idols worship these days might be financial success, financial security, friends, stable family, good grades, pride, social status, social image, knowledge, and many more. As Christians, we aren't immune from idols. But brothers and sisters, idolatry was a very real temptation back then. But it's also a very real temptation for us now. To not believe that we can be tempted to not take the dangers of idolatry seriously, to not think that it's going to happen to you, that puts our faith at risk. And so it's important that we repent of the idols that we might have. Now, to do that, a simple way is to consider some questions. Um, This first simple one is, is there anything replacing the one true God in your life, particularly in importance. Uh, maybe, maybe this one, is financial success or security more important to you than God is? Is your future in a good career more important to you than God is? Make sure to not merely just look into your heart as well, because what we value is reflected in how we live. So also keep in mind how you spend your time and energy too because you can tell the state of a tree by the fruit that it produces. So, let me give you some more reflective questions to consider. Are you regularly spending excessive amounts of time with your friends at the cost of your time with God? Is your job as a whatever more important to you than your identity as a forgiven sinner? Are you getting a sense of satisfaction, comfort, and identity from your career that you don't get from being a Christian? Is your desire for pride exceeding your desire to obey Jesus' commands? Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way, an idol is something that we cannot live without. We must have it, and therefore it drives us to break rules we once honored, to harm others and even ourselves in order to get it. These are some questions and thoughts we can reflect on as we examine our hearts for idolatry. And so I encourage you, talk to someone. If you have a mentor figure, talk to them. Talk to your pastor about this. I've been thinking about this a lot. Does that mean I'm idolizing it? And this is so important as we look to glorify the Lord God only. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve both God and money. Giving God all the glory is extremely difficult, if not downright impossible, when we have idols in our lives. Never mind the fact that our idols could become a bigger part 
of our lives, which makes it so important for us to deal with them as soon as we can. Deal with your idols as we look to glorify God. Moving on to the second half of the psalm, as we talk about glorifying God, we see who the psalmist calls to glorify God. Verse 9 to 11, the Israelites, the house of Aaron, and those who fear him. As in, those who fear him, it's probably the people um, who aren't from the nation of Israel, but still trust in God, namely the Gentiles. And so, we see that all who follow God are called to trust God as He helps and shields those who do. In fact, God is the only God to trust. Trust in God instead of the idols. Because God is the only God who blesses us, we're told that in verses 12 to 15, that God remembers the people mentioned. He blesses them, Israel, the house of Aaron, as in Israel's priests, and the God-fearers. But what is blessing? To explain this briefly, blessing in the Bible basically means to show favor to someone. When we are blessed by God, He favors us. Now, we're most likely to think of material blessing whenever we think of blessing. And they certainly are included when we talk about it, because all good things come from the Lord. But having said that, it's still, it's still possible to be blessed even when things don't look so pleasant, even through difficulty. Uh, one place we can look to this is the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, where the Lord Jesus proclaimed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, among other things. There's a temptation to think that, those, that these circumstances they don't show blessing at all. But the truth is that God, because God is present through those difficult times, Christians are blessed by Him as they depend on Him. Christians are blessed as they recognize their need for God's help and grow in relationship with Him. To put it simply, it's possible to be blessed by God regardless of circumstances, because being blessed means to be favored by God and the blessing might not be what we expect it to be. Now, we've just spoken about what is blessing, so why does God bless His people? In verse 3, He does whatever pleases Him. This verse itself is about God's character, and it tells us why He blesses in the first place. He blesses because it's in His character to do, to do that, and we can see that this is how God has always been. Uh, in Genesis 15, verses 4 to 6, we see that God has always been like this, that God tells the person named Abram a promise. Abram will have his own son as an heir, despite struggling to have children for a long time, and that he would have so many offspring that it would rival the stars in numbers. And all Abram did on his behalf was believe God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Friends, that is who God is. God is a God who blesses those 
who believe and trust in him. Our trust in him doesn't stem from seeking blessings, but because we're already blessed in his love and faithfulness. And he both blesses his people and helps them to flourish unlike the idols. And with that in mind, as we go back to the text, we see just how stark the contrast is between the idols and God. While the idols are dumb and mute, making all who trust in them dumb and mute too, God blesses and helps His people to flourish. The Lord remembers us and will, re- and will bless us. Something that only God's people would have said. Uh, perhaps you've also noticed uh, just through these four verses in 12 to 15, the term bless or blessed is used uh, five times. Four times He will bless and one time may you be blessed. It's clear that the psalmist knows that God's blessing is great. He wants everyone to know that it'll happen and desires God's blessing for those people there. It's God who gives the blessing to the people and the psalmist desires it for them. Only good can ever come from trusting God compared to these idols. There's no coincidence that the early verses speak about the uselessness, the futility of trusting idols, and then moves on to encouraging the people to trust in God. Remember who this God is, verse 16 to 18. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to mankind. It's not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forever. Praise the Lord. God fills the heavens. He is the God of space and time, and He's given the earth to humanity as we live here and praise Him. It's those who are in relationship with only Him who are alive. Our friends, as we've established from talking about the previous section, we can only trust in God. The previous section spoke about how the idols are dumb and mute, and people that trust in these idols will become like them. And so, if we're concerned for our eternal outcome, only God can do something about this. Bringing up that only God can do something about it, uh, it kind of reminded me of a situation that I faced in 2015. So, about five years ago, I had a tumor uh, developed behind my left eye, in my left tear gland. Now, the tumor couldn't just stay in my tear gland, uh, but it was also a really tricky procedure overall. So I needed a really good doctor to be able to ensure uh, good possibility of success and also minimal scarring. So thankfully, uh, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor, uh, named Dr. Vu at the PA hospital said he knew what needed to be done. Uh, He was basically the only person that I could rely on to operate on my tumor. He would have been the only person that I trusted with this. Uh, Now, initially, obviously I was a bit scared, but the nurse assured me that he was brilliant. Uh, And on the day of the operation, he said to the other doctors working the case, "Uh, this is what we're going to do, almost like a TV medical drama. One of the other doctors said, is that possible? And Dr. Vu said it was. 
And so that cemented it for me. Dr. Vu obviously was on a different level, and he was the guy I needed to deal with this tumor. How much more is it the case that we need God if we're talking about our eternal outcome? How much more is it the case that we need God when we're talking about blessing? Just like how only Dr. Vu could operate on my tumor, only God can bless. Only God can lead us to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, friends, by now verse 8 should be a very real warning to us. That is, those who make or trust idols will become like them, mute, dumb, unable to do anything for themselves. It doesn't need to be a physical statue. It's just anything that might be more important to us than God. The statue idols can't save anyone. The idols of money, love, security, and so on might normally be good things, but they're only temporary. We need God. He's our help, our shield. He will bless us because of who He is. He is our salvation. And so we end up in two potential spots. So firstly, for those of us who don't call Jesus Lord, or those who made an idol for themselves, turn to or turn back to Him. It's never too late. Uh, In Luke 15, we see that it's never too late for a person to return back to God or to turn to Him. He welcomes them. With a lost sheep that's found, there is rejoicing. With a lost coin that's found, there is rejoicing. With a lost son that's returned, there is rejoicing. It's never too late for anyone. Secondly, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, as we remember the temptation of idolatry, pray that we can persevere until the very end and that we place our hope and trust in God alone. Another thing to keep in mind is also what's expected by the idols of a follower and by God of a follower. The idols, they must always be pleased, given sacrifices to. Uh, My family burns incense and they offer fruit to their deities for days on end. And it's frustrating to me because I see all this delicious fruit just sitting there before I can even eat it. But it's always do, do, do with these idols. Our God is different. Our God says it's all about faith that we trust in Him and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And having said that, I need to flag this just in case. There is a danger that we somehow think we merit God's blessing and salvation as we perform religious acts, such as going to church week in, week out, taking communion, reading the Bible. Those are all important things, but they are a response of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. It's all about our faith and trust in God. The psalmist calls us to trust in God because He's not an absent God like the idols are. 
our God is alive and He's in the heavens. He's agreed to be our help and shield, to bless us, and He's given us the earth. Let's keep our hope in Him by trusting in His Son, Jesus. As Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Brothers, sisters, friends, as I draw to a close today with this psalm, have a quick look back over what it tells us. Idolatry is real. It's a real danger. It's an actual temptation that all of us face. To not take this seriously keeps us away from God and puts us in harm's way and is forgetting the psalmist's words in verse 8, that those who make idols will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Instead, the psalmist calls us to trust in the Lord God because He's our helper, He's our shield. He blesses His people because of who He is. And so it makes sense to want to trust Him. He's actually the one we do need to trust. I, for one, am glad that God is the one who we need to trust because it's not about all about do, do, do but we are blessed in His love and faithfulness. And so let's give glory to His name. Let me pray. Father, please help us to run from the idols in our lives and the things that they promise. Help us to look to You instead as our comfort, security, and strength. We know that what these idols promise are but empty promises compared to You, and so we ask that this remains at the forefront of our, of our minds and of our memories. Please help us to instead remember you and your promises that you have made, and also to remember your character as a gracious God who blesses his people simply out of his desire to. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, that through him we have someone to look to and someone who reminds us of how blessed we are. Thank you that in your Son, we don't need to look to things which provide empty promises and pale in comparison to that which you give. Help us, Father, to cling to your Son and remain faithful to Him. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.